very young. And because of this, you know, they're still learning responsibility. And uh, in our house, it can sometimes be dangerous to walk around at night because you never know what toy might have been left out, out of place, right? And as you're navigating the floors in our house at night, uh, if you need to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, light is an essential tool for survival. Because you never know where there's like this pointy Lego that's just waiting to pierce your foot and cause great pain, bring you to the ground. Uh, it's a, and it's essential. Uh, lack of light leaves you ignorant to what is uh, reality, what is concealed by the darkness. Well, in the Bible, darkness certainly uh, can mean ignorance, but it also carries themes of moral evil and spiritual deadness. And in all these senses, the scriptures tell us that we live in a very dark world. But we don't need the Bible to tell us this. You don't have to live very long in this world before you trip over some moral evil in this life. This week I experienced the darkness of our world up close and personal. Uh, I was due for a phone upgrade, so I uh, purchased a, a phone through Verizon, and they were sending it to me in the mail. I got it the next day, and then uh, I, I got a, an empty box. And one end of the box was punched in. It looked like someone punched in the box and ripped the phone out and stole it. Uh, so there, there you go. I mean, we live in an evil world, right? Now, in the grand scheme of things, this is a very small inconvenience, but a reminder, nonetheless, that even at Christmas time, our world is a dark world, morally and spiritually. It's interesting that Christmas each year comes right after the winter solstice, where we have the darkest day of the year with the longest night and the shortest day uh, and then Christmas comes. And I think it's so, it's so beautiful uh, and symbolic that Christmas comes right after the darkest day of the year. And this is often when depression sets in and is on the rise, when sunlight is in short supply and people know this. People know it's dark. They know they need light. People also know that we live in a broken world. Most people, in fact, I'd say all people, want a brighter future for their children. But we can't find, we can't seem to find that light. Where do we find this light? This is the question that our text will answer for us today. Where do we find the light that we need? We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 8 today, and I invite you to grab your Bibles, turn there with me now. Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to read verses 11 to 12. If you need to use a pew Bible, you'll find today's text on page 680. And once you're there, I invite you to stand and follow along with me as I read. Of course, we stand out of reverence, but also as a symbol that we stand under the authority of God's word. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. And warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. 
And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I wait for the Lord who's hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should not they inquire... Uh, of the dead on behalf of the, of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is trustworthy, good, and right. May your spirit open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts today, that we may see rightly the reality of our hearts and of our world May your word be a light to our paths that we may follow Jesus that much more closely. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This is going to be a two-part sermon. We're going to spend some time at the end of uh, Isaiah chapter 8 today. And then next week on Christmas Eve morning, we'll spend some time looking at Isaiah chapter 9, those famous Christmas verses, uh, verses 1 to 7. And we're going to be talking a lot about this theme of light and darkness. Okay, So a little background on what's going on culturally and historically here during Isaiah's time that he's writing this. The prophet Isaiah is writing in a very dark time in, in the history of God's people. Uh, king Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, are being threatened by the northern kingdom making an alliance with Syria in the north. And so Ahaz reaches out to the superpower of the day, Assyria. And so Ahaz reaches out to them uh, for help. But little does he know that this alliance with Assyria is kind of like uh, a, a little field mouse being threatened by a rat and reaching out to an alley cat for help. Right? That alley cat will gladly devour the rat and then turn on the mouse when he's done. And this is exactly uh, what Assyria does. And in, earlier in part of chapter 8, God promises to judge Judah for doing this, not trusting in their God, reaching out to Assyria. God promises to judge them by the invasion of the Assyrians themselves into their land. And this is what happens. So things are dark for Judah politically, but as you'll see, they're also dark morally and spiritually. 
In our text today, God speaks to Isaiah and he gives him instructions for how to live in dark times. But the Lord also gives him hope in the form of a promise that things will not always be dark, that a light is coming so great that will dispel all the darkness of this world. So I want to show you uh, the hope of Christmas here uh, using these three points. Today I want to show you uh, how badly we need this, this spiritual light, the light of Christmas, and where we find this light and where it will take us. So these are our three points. The need for this light, the source for this light, and the destination of this light. So first, the need for light. Notice this one detail that we're given in verse 20. It's an important distinguishing characteristic that describes the people uh, who walk in darkness. Uh, They do so, as people were told, uh, because they have no dawn. They have no dawn. They have no light. They have no understanding. They're morally dark. They're spiritually dark. They have no light of understanding. And we see how people live in this darkness in two ways. First, our text tells us that they fear the wrong things. And secondly, it tells us that they trust the wrong things. First, the people of Isaiah's day feared conspiracy and political instability. They were afraid of the alliance between the northern kingdom and that of Assyria. And look what Isaiah writes in chapter 7, verse 2. He says, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. This fear there. They were terrified. How many people living uh, uh, today are in uh, debilitating fear of what our government does or is not doing? And some of the decisions that our president makes or about wars and rumors of wars around the world. For many people, these things consume their thoughts. I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to them, but it's another thing to be consumed by them. It's all you think about. People watch a lot of news, a lot of news, a lot of cable news. Conspiracy is always on their minds. It wasn't too long ago that it seemed like our entire world was gripped by the fear of covid Other people live in terrible fear of things like climate change. We're getting right ahead into an election year where fear-mongering will certainly be at its apex. People will fear another Trump presidency. Others will fear another Biden presidency. Now, people are not ignorant about our dark world. Nearly everyone if they're honest with themselves, will admit that our world is dark. We live in dark times. Everyone knows that we need light. After all, everyone hopes for a brighter future, don't they? Well, in 1985, some of you might remember this. I was only five. I have kind of vague recollections of this. I remember the song, okay? Um, But in 1985... There was this global hunger benefit concert. Anyone remember what I'm talking about? Called Live Aid. Does anyone here remember Live Aid? Yeah. Live Aid was organized in stadiums around the world uh, and linked up via satellite links and television broadcasts. And it was, it was the largest uh, satellite link up uh, media uh, production of all time. 
According to Wikipedia, an estimated 1.9 billion people turned, tuned in from 150 countries, nearly 40% of the world's population. The event concluded in the United States with a performance by a massive pop superstar collaboration, all united together on stage. I mean, you kind of, if you remember it, you kind of get this picture seared in your mind, right? All these major pop superstars on stage kind of singing together. Uh, it was a song written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie called We Are the World. Remember the song? We Are the World. Remember that? Yeah. Um, now listen to these lyrics and tell me if it doesn't perfectly describe people who know we live in a dark world and are looking for light, right? And they're looking for light in a very specific place, if you can catch it, ready? We are the world, we are the children. I'm not going to sing it because that'd be bad. I, you, yeah. Uh, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true. We'll make a better day. Just you and me. You see, people know the world's a dark place and they know that we need, we need light, but notice that they're putting their trust in the wrong things to find this light. They trust themselves. This is a major anthem of of that time. We are the ones. We are the ones who make a brighter day. We are saving our own lives. We'll make it a better world. It's all up to us. We can do it. This is what people do when they're afraid. They look for something to trust to give them light. This is the second way people live in darkness. First, they fear the wrong things, but secondly, they trust the wrong things to give them safety and comfort. God tells Isaiah in verse 19 that the people turned to mediums and to necromancers. Have you noticed how in our culture there's this increasing uh, focus on the occult and on the rise of... um, Things like fortune tellers, tarot cards, mediums, the Zodiac. I was just reading in USA Today, uh, just the other day, there's this, this rise in some uh, uh, after-school Satan clubs at, at um, schools around the country. People genuinely believe that if, if they can only get a word from the dead then this will somehow give them greater uh, control over their future. But it's not just the occult. Verse 22 says that distressed people will look to the earth. They'll look to the things of the earth. Everyone trusts in something that they believe will make the world a brighter day. Everyone trusts in something. Election season is coming, as I mentioned before. Some believe the light will be found in a new or bigger government. We just need a new administration, a new president. Uh, we need to reform government programs. We need uh, new government programs. We need a border wall. Uh, all these things are like solutions to like the world's biggest problems, right? Others believe the solution is an economic reform. We've got to cut overspending and overtaxing, and uh, this will lead to the good life. Others trust their intellect and believe that the advancements in technology and medicine is the way out of darkness. We all need to drive electric vehicles, we're being told, and get solar panels. We need medical breakthroughs to drive out COVID and cancer and everything else that ails you. 
King Ahaz feared the wrong thing. He feared a political alliance. He trusted the wrong thing by making his own political alliance with Assyria. But verse 22 tells us that this only makes things worse. Because when they look to the earth for light, it says, Behold, distress and darkness, gloom and anguish. And you'll be thrust into thick darkness. Now, there's some controversy over this live aid thing. Uh, A lot of the money apparently went to uh, regimes in Africa that used it to buy guns and all this sort of stuff, right? I mean, you think about the impact of an event like that back in 1985, and you wonder, like, how much better off are we now today after that, you know, all those superstars on the stage, we are the world, we are the light, we're going to make a brighter day, right? Um, and, and yet, our world is still very, very dark. Uh, now, look what happens in verse 21. When the people are greatly distressed and hungry, they become enraged. They lash out against the king and against God. Have you ever encountered an angry person who's just so beat up by this dark world that they curse God? There's no way God could exist because of what's happened in my life, they say. There's no way there can be a God if there's a world like this. And this is exactly what Job's wife tells him after the darkness of this world struck him so severely that Job lost everything. Job's wife tells him, to curse God and die. Your, your life is so bad. Curse God and die. That's in Job chapter 2, verse 9. And this is how people who li- live with no dawn, when they have no light, they know they need light, but they look for it in all the wrong places, fearing and trusting the wrong things. Now let's look at what this text says tells us about the true source of light that we all need. I love the descriptive language here in verse 11. Uh, Isaiah says the Lord spoke to him and warned him with his strong hand upon him. Maybe you've done this to someone before. Maybe you've had it done to you. But when you're in a lot of distress and your friend just kind of grabs you tightly and shakes you and is like, Get a grip, right? Let me tell you how it is, right? You got to shake out of it, snap out of it, right? The the strong hand of the Lord is on Isaiah. Grabs him tightly and and maybe, uh, you know, there's a little shake there. Who knows? And and then um, God tells Isaiah, verse 12, don't fear what the world fears. He's gripping Isaiah, looking him in the eye. Don't fear. Fear what this world fears. Don't live like there's no God. That's what the world's doing, essentially. When they fear the wrong things and trust the wrong things, they're living like there's no God. So God says to Isaiah, don't fear what the world fears. Don't live in dread of climate change or elections or COVID or cancer. Don't let them consume your thoughts. Don't obsess over them. It's so easy to get swept up in these things, especially if you watch too much cable news. Certainly we should be informed. But don't let it consume you. Don't let it grip and control your hearts. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. 
You see, the ultimate solution is not to not fear at all. Instead, we are to have a better fear. We've got to have a better fear than the world. Verse 13 tells us to honor the Lord as holy. Fear the Lord. Be consumed by the Lord. Obsess over the Lord. Make him the center of your reality. Make him the most significant pursuit of your life. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 not to be anxious about our lives, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4 not to be anxious about anything, but to bring your concerns to God, and the peace of God will guard your heart. It's funny, really, when you don't fear the Lord, you'll fear almost anything and everything else. But it's only when you fear the Lord that you'll no longer fear anything else in this world. So when we begin to see the light that we need, uh, we start to fear the right thing. We start to fear God. We put our trust in his light Instead of running to the occult or to the polling booths or protests to find light, God tells us in Isaiah 20, to the teaching and to the testimony. The word of God. The word of God is our light. We see something very similar in verse 16 when Isaiah says, bind up the testimony, seal it. He's saying to keep God's word close to your hearts. Bind it there. Keep it there. Over the summer, uh, my family and I went to Word of Life. We went camping, and uh, I took some of my littler ones out on a canoe, and we had to get them uh, fitted up with a life jacket. And I think it was probably Lincoln. I put this life jacket on. I'm cinching it really good. You know, he's a little guy, so I'm cinching it really good. He says, Dad, it's too tight. It's too tight, Dad. And I said, Lincoln, it has to be tight. It has to be tight. Because if you go into that water, you'll slip right out of it, Right? Bind it up tight. That's, that's the imagery here that we're, we're getting in Isaiah. Bind it up tight. Keep it close to your heart. Keep it, t- keep it close. Don't hold on to it loosely. This is how it is in life. When we get thrown overboard by the darkness of this world, we want to have the word of God firmly bound up in our hearts. When it feels like God is distant or late, we will wait and we will hope. We won't make the same mistake as the people of Israel who, when Moses was delayed on the mountain with God, the people of Israel made and worshipped a golden calf. We won't make the same mistake as King Saul did when he was told to wait for the prophet Samuel to make the sacrifice. But when Samuel was delayed, Saul took matters into his own hands. He sinned against God by offering the sacrifice without Samuel. When God's plan and timing doesn't align with our expectations, we look everywhere else for light. Instead, with God's word firmly bound up and sealed in our hearts, we will trust God. When we can't see him or feel him, and we'll be patient when his timing is not our timing. Fear God. Bind up his word in your hearts. 
Seal it in your hearts. We will trust God when we can't see him or feel him. His word is the light that we need. Of course, uh, the beautiful verse in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet, to light, to my path. My final point, let me show you what's at stake. Let's look at where these two ways or these two paths, light and darkness, end up taking us. What's the final destination at stake here? Look with me at verse 14. When we trust God to be the light that we need, it says, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling. There's only two possible destinations. Either the same God will be a sanctuary or you will fall and trip over him and it will break you. For so many people, Jesus is offensive. It's offensive. He's hard to accept. He's a gift, of course. But some gifts are hard to receive, aren't they? You ever had a gift that was hard to receive? It's like when a friend gives you a diet book for Christmas. And you're like, what are you trying to say? Or uh, they give you a book on like how to make friends. And you're like, what? are you saying I'm annoying and fat? You know, um, it's a hard gift to receive because to receive it means admitting that you have a problem. You might throw those books in the trash in anger when you get home. You you reject them, and that's what, that's what people do in the world. They don't want to be told that they have a problem that Jesus is the solution for, the only solution for. So in order to swallow, uh, or in order to uh, receive those kind of gifts, you have to swallow your pride. In order to receive Jesus, you have to admit you have a problem. Maybe you are fat and annoying, I don't know. Uh, but swallowing your pride is the only way to get the light that you need. But if you receive Jesus as your light, he becomes your sanctuary. Do you know what a sanctuary is? It's a holy place. It's a holy place. And what made it holy was the fact that the presence of God dwelt there. It was a place to be with God. So if, if we fear God and if we trust God, he becomes a sanctuary, a place where we can be together with God. And the holy place in the Old Testament was a temple, or before that it was a tabernacle, and the sanctuary was the place where sacrifices were made, where the blood of lambs was spilt for the forgiveness of sins, but the temple and the lambs were only shadows pointing to this truer reality. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word dwelt here, the word became flesh and dwelt, is pretty significant. It literally means tented or tabernacled. Remember, the tabernacle was the first sanctuary in the Old Testament. And later on, John would uh, describe Jesus uh, when Jesus says that his body is the temple. His body is the new temple. Understand what this means. Jesus, Jesus was the fullness of God with us. Jesus was the fullness of God with us. But remember that the sanctuary was the place for sacrifices 
And John the Baptist rightly identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what happens in the sanctuary of Jesus' body. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the light that we need. The Word of God is absolutely a, a lamp and a light unto our path. That light, that word became flesh at Christmas time. The light is Jesus. Jesus is the light we need. Remember that big Live Aid concert I was telling you about earlier. Well, Bob Dylan was a part of that all-star group of artists all performing together. But when he performed, he looked noticeably uncomfortable. And in an interview afterward, he was asked about this. And he said the reason he felt so uncomfortable is because humankind cannot save itself. It's wise words from Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan wasn't talking about Christmas, but that's the message of Christmas. The world cannot save itself. The light that we need doesn't come from ourselves. This should tell us how serious our sin is that the Son of God had become one of us and suffer and die and rise again to give us the light that we need. That's how bad it is. But for so many, this is offensive. They don't believe it's that bad. They cry. They can't accept it. They push Jesus to the side. They can't get rid of him completely, though. They'll trip over him from time to time. They'll stumble over him from time to time. It's inconvenient. Jesus is inconvenient to them. They'll relegate him to the farthest corner of their life and of society as much as they're able, but they cannot get rid of him. And eventually, at the end of their lives, they will come face to face with him at the final judgment. And they won't be able to push him to the side anymore. They'll be caught and eternally broken in hell. Jesus the light we all need can either be your sanctuary or he can be the rock that will break you. There's only two options. He'll either be your sanctuary or the rock that will break you. You've got to swallow your pride, receive his forgiveness, and make him the center of your life. Then he will be the light that you so desperately need. J.R. Tolkien, I'll end with this, uh, wrote the well-known Lord of the Rings trilogy. And he writes about a gift that was given to Frodo by an elf queen who said that it would be the light in the darkness when all other lights go out. Fear Jesus Christ above all else. Trust him alone to save you and he will be your light in a dark world when all other lights go out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We thank you that you are the light that we so desperately need. We thank you that uh, you stepped into our world and took on flesh, the word become flesh. That you walked this earth, you suffered, you died, you rose again, that we might rise with you. We long for the completion of our salvation, Lord. This time of year, we think about 
your first coming, but we also direct our hearts to your second coming when you will uh, finish the work that you started. This world is still dark, but there is light. And you will come again one day and drive out all darkness from our world and make this world new and beautiful. You'll make us new and beautiful. We long for that day and we, we pray with our hearts, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.